my kids gave me a, it was a jar, I don't know, about 10 inches wide and 10 inches tall, and it was filled in, filled up with colored paper. So they each took 20 pieces of paper and they wrote down what they loved about me. And that was my gift. Some more really deep stuff that just really are like, all right, I've done okay. Yeah, I, there's still, I'm, I still got a lot of flaws and a lot of weaknesses, but there was really re, reassuring and confirming that, you know, it's been, it's been a good life so far. Yeah. Every single individual has a story to tell, and they're great stories that need to be heard. I want every listener to know they have the ability to change the world. Welcome to the 1720 Podcast. What's up, Mount Movers? Welcome back to the 1720 Podcast. Today, you are in for an absolute treat. We got Steve Bruiser in the house with us. Got to meet Steve a few years ago at a Texo board retreat. He came onto the Texo board, very curious, asking good questions and just observing him over the years, uh, everything he says adds value. And so you're in for a treat this next hour and a half or so. We're going to break down 40 years of career and more so with life and uh, read the prep sheet that you filled out last week, uh, uh, last week and read it last night. And ever so often, people will give like full descriptions of each bullet point. And I read yours like a book. And I was like, <laughs> that was an awesome read. There's so many cool things in it. And so we get a crystal ball of where this conversation's about to go, and it's going to be awesome. So, Steve, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, go ahead. No, I'm not sure how much value I'll bring, but I'll try. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's what people say before they bring the hammer. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a humble answer. <laughs> yeah. So, so Kev gave a great intro, but I think the way we usually start off is like, what's your elevator pitch? Let's let you tell us. Who's Steve Bridger? Um, I think first off, I'm a believer, Christian, uh, husband to Teresa, uh, two sons, John and Joe, um, president at Spring Valley Construction, been there coming up on 27 years, uh, been in Dallas, Fort Worth most of my life now, um, very honest, hardworking, typical Midwesterner from Chicago. Um, pretty much it. Pretty simple. Yeah. Pretty, I'm pretty simple. The, I can hear the, you, you say you've been in Dallas for a long time, but as you're saying it, I can sort of hear a twinge of the accent still. It hasn't completely left you. No, there's, everybody pretty much knows the Midwestern accent and I have not lost it. And every once in a while I'll slip with a y'all or something like that, but not very often. So Sometimes the used guys too. Though. It was it me and you had a used guys conversation. The other day? I, I moved here from Chicago in 2010 and I was not just you guys. I was used guys. Yeah. Used guys, Debodias, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the what? Debodias. Huh? Both of it. Both of you. De, oh, the Yeah. That, I couldn't even hear it. I was like, what are, what are debodabas? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. There's every once in a while it goes back to, especially when I go back to Chicago with my friends, it's, yeah, it's. Say it again. Debodias. De yeah. I'm going to use that. I'm going to take that. Now I'm using it. It's mine. It, use it at your next trial or something like that. Just yeah. say that. Say that. <laughs> the jury be like, what? <laughs> yeah. Debodias. Yeah. My, my wife, uh, she. <laughs> She knew, I, I went back to Chicago several weeks ago, and as soon as I got home, she knew I was hanging out with Chicago contractors because it, the accent oh, it came back, back instantly. Uh -huh. It does. It does. 
Same. I mean, from Southeast Texas, when when I come, same, same. You just come back with a banjo and overalls? No, no, that's not <laughs> Southeast Texas, but fair. <laughs> Takes a minute to shake it off. That's all right. Uh, all right, tell us a story, Steve. We're Which just, story? Oh, anyone, man. We don't really like to start with a grow-up story. Where'd you grow up? Grew Chicago. Up in, yep, Southside Chicago. Um, as far Southeast as you can go without being in Indiana, about a mile away from Indiana border a mile away from the lake, um, went to Chicago public uh, schools from K through 12, lived in a three flat apartment, about a thousand square foot was the mid-level and my grandparents lived below us. Mm. They had an older couple above us, had a concrete backyard, garage, alley, um, small patch of grass in front. Walked to school every day, came home for lunch every day. My mom had lunch for us. She was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, Dad was a carpenter, union union carpenter, superintendent. Pretty uh, family, traditional. Um, All my buddies grew up within four blocks of me. We all went to the same school system. And um, I have a sister, a younger sister, um, who... My dad worked for a company called Berglund Construction. My sister is two years younger than me, and she's been there for 38 years. Oh, wow. And she handles all their payroll uh, for the company. Now, when I went back to Chicago, I went to work for Berglund for four years. She um, runs, they have five offices in six different states, and she does all the, in the union. So she does all the union benefits for the payroll and She's wanting to retire, but they won't let her retire. And she's <laughs> a hardworking, just a hardworking employee, loyal as can be. Um, and I think that comes from my mom and my dad. You know, my dad was hardworking. He had the neatest penmanship. Uh, he wrote left-handed and wrote upside down somehow. And his letters were perfect. He was a draftsman and yeah. perfectionist, very um, creative with his hands. Um, you know, and he just was a ex-marine um mom stayed at home took care of everything for us um it was just a really hard-working blue collar neighborhood a lot of ethnic uh polish irish yugoslavian croatian german um you know all my my buddies names uh i told uh it's like uh, mike bertok and ken bruno and yeah Mark Pooker and Zeke Zupan and just, you know, Bruiser fit in perfect with all those names. So yeah. had some Vuka Bradoviches and Raz Popoviches and just really cool ethnic uh, neighborhood. The high school was like 400 people and 400 in the senior class and kind of just played hard and worked hard. Those, go ahead, Ken. <clears throat> I, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah, well, no, I got a lot. I want to go to one specific, and then no, and then gotta, Stewie's yeah. going to launch. Yeah. yeah, but how you described <laughs> the South Side of Chicago, like I, it, it, I felt it. Like my my grandma ourselves, Burbank, Oak Lawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandma's in Chicago, off Pulaski, and whatever number yeah. three flats. Yeah, and there's usually numerous families, and uh, th- just a concrete backyard, detached garage that attaches to the alley. And I remember my great grandma in her house off Pulaski was right across from her school. And she had like one of the first motor vehicles, like the model T or something like that in that garage. I have no idea where it is now, but it's 
these gridded blocks, man, super tight. Your wingspan could reach in between these two houses in these in these three flats. And typically, there is, for my side, Polish and Italian families that live there, all from immigrants and immigration. And it's it it brought me back. Yeah. Just so I mean, hearing that everything's like city blocks. So you have the grocery store was on the corner. There may be a liquor store on the other corner. Uh, we were on a CTA bus route, so. At, you know, we didn't have air central air, so we'd have a, a through wall unit for air conditioning. So we'd sleep in our bedrooms and I'd have, you know, my window open. So you're hearing the CTA bus go by every day, every night. And, you know, it's just uh, this. And we also, it was surrounded by three steel mills. So it was Republic, LTV, and Wisconsin Steel, all within two miles of us. So uh, it's amazing that I'm still alive, that I don't have any kind of uh, pollution or lung <laughs> cancer. Yeah, my dad well. also smoked which is what ultimately, you know, killed him. But, um, yeah, it was just industrial. It was blue collar. It was, uh, it was awesome. It was really a great, great, great childhood. Okay. I got all the questions. Most of our listeners are in Dallas and housing in Dallas is different. And I will admit, I have no idea what a three flat apartment is. What, like, explain this to me a little better. So it's just, um, one building, the bottom, the basement has, it's like a half basement. So you have a window down below and then you just have another picture window and another picture window. It's just, uh, I probably got a picture of it on my phone. I can show you, but it's, and there was like three or four of them in a row. And then it went from there to bungalows. And then on the corner was a grocery store. And then you may go down another block and have more bungalows. And then you have an R3 flat and Okay, so the three, three flat, levels. Three levels. They're not three con- separate apartments. They're connected with stairs on the outside. outside. There's stairs on the inside on both the front and the back. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when you're talking about someone lived above you and below you, it, it was-, was a tenant and then my grandparents. So every night, the okay. really great thing about it, um, my grandfather was a, a captain for a tugboat for the fire department. And every night growing up, we would, my sister and I would go down the stairs to, kiss them goodnight, say goodnight, and then we go back upstairs to go to bed. Well, my grandfather had a um, tradition. He would sit at the kitchen table, which as soon as you come down the stairs, you go into the kitchen, then you got to go to the living room. My grandma would be in the living room watching TV. Grandpa would be sitting at the table reading a newspaper, the Sunday, the Sun Times, and he'd be eating a bowl of ice cream. And we would try to sneak down the stairs because if he heard us, he would get behind a wall and as soon as he walked by he'd scare us (laughs) and he'd catch us and he'd kiss us with those cold lips you know it's a memory i still have so but we would always like try to run by and then he'd try to catch us and if one got by the other one would go you know and then we go say grandma it's just one of those memories that was just really cool it's just um isn't it funny how those moments are just just etched in there because like i i don't have that memory but i know what it feels like because you can you can almost smell it. Yeah. Not to be weird about it. But. No, it is. It was, I mean, I can smell the, I mean, the boiler room was right next to, to where they lived. They had a little mockingbird that would make noises and mock my grandma and you can hear it and the noises, you know, when it, it, it snowed, we had street lights that were like a yellowish color. And when you, to see the snow outside, you'd have to look in the street light to see it falling. Yeah. And just that whole and I can remember walking down the streets when it was snowing and going to my buddy's house. Um, you know, one of the, what we used to do was called Skitchen. Have you ever heard of Skitchen? Oh, Kevin has. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I have no idea what Skitchen is. He's bringing me back. Yeah. So, I love this so the much. The street though. we were on was, was a busier street because it had the CTA bus stop. Um, 
But if you go on the side streets, which are very narrow, probably, you know, a little bit wider than this room, um, and the, the snow plows would very rarely go through the side streets because there's cars parked on the side. So the, the snow would get packed down by everybody driving on it. So what you would do is you'd go, you'd get behind a car right, right at a stop sign. A car would come at the stop sign, and then you would sneak out, grab onto the bumper, and and squat, and then the car would go, and you'd be hanging on the car for a block or until you get until they find out you're on there and they put the brakes on. So, <laughs> so we you know we'd be skitching or throwing snowballs at cars and buses and just stupid stuff like that. Did it? Were you skitching too? Uh, I, this is yes. And hiding behind brick walls, throwing snowballs at oncoming traffic. Same exact as Bruiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's amazing. And everybody know, I mean, most people know, you know, the school that, you know, when you go to kids go to school today, it's a lot different. Um, you know, my mom and dad may have gone to a couple of my games, you know, baseball, stuff like that. They didn't attend everything. It's so different these days. Yeah. Where, yeah. Um, now, you know, if you miss something, you're a bad parent or something like that. And it's just so kids were pretty much, you ride your bike to school, you ride your bike, wherever you go, you, you know, do a lot of stupid stuff and you have great memories from it. We had this conversation <laughs> at the house the other day, Ashley and I were talking about, um, how when we were kids, like it didn't feel like the world revolved around me. I was an only child, so it did a little bit, but not really, you know, right. like, but when my parents were kids it did not revolve around them at all my parents were in their mid-70s like they were what was it see but not heard or that's the whole yeah. and there's definitely been a shift to like placating and babying and coddling children in fact this morning i um actually was out of town with stella on a field trip and uh, my oldest it turned 16 around christmas and uh, today i was just like man you're on your own i'm going to work get yourself to school if you have any troubles call me let me know and I left and I kind of felt guilty. I was like, well, I didn't make him breakfast. And, and then I was like, no, he's 16 years old. Figure it out, man. I think we just all did a lot more figuring it out. Yeah. Back in the day and a lot more skitching apparently. Oh yeah. And so you have in here, there's so many parallels, um, the, that you got hard work from your dad and love for your mom. Yeah. Did, did you realize, you probably realized the dad thing quickly. Mm -hmm. Did you realize the mom thing too, that you got love from her? I think my uh, my dad passed in 2012, which that's another whole story about my my going to Berglund and coming back home. My mom's still alive. She's 88 years old. Um, she lives by herself in a ranch house in Indiana where my sister is probably two miles away from her. My sister carries a load. And so does my brother-in-law and my, my niece, my nieces and their husbands carry the load of taking care of mom, you know shoveling her snow and anything she has wrong at the house. But the older she gets, the more I, I understand the love, mm. you know? Um, yeah. And it's not anything, it's not anything that's uh, the hugs and the kisses. It gets harder because every time I leave, you know, you know, the, those times are, are getting a little shorter. Um, but it's just what she's done for the family, what she's done for me to get to where I am. Um, Dad was a, a tough father, um, and I probably am very tough on my kids because of that. Uh, expectations were high. You know, I, I read your book. You sent me your book, and I read it. And the first, I don't know if it was in the introduction or the first chapter about your partying days, blew me away. 
I was like, holy crap. You know, I've never done a drug in my life. I've never smoked pot, never did anything at all. And it's because my dad would kill me. I mean, it really seriously, I'm not, I mean, the belt was live and well at our house. <laughs> um, and if I got off track, it, man, it, he would come down on me. Um, and it was tough growing up under that, but it made me where I'm at today. Heck yeah. And my mom was always there. You know, the worst thing that happens, you come home and your mom knows you did something wrong and you know, oh crap. So my dad would um, get off work at 3.30. He'd go to um, Mylon's Pub, which is a little bar that's like 108th Street. We were 112th. He'd go and hang out for a couple hours and come home. Six o'clock was dinner every night. And if there was something wrong, if mom was going to tell what was going on, that was not a good time. Six o'clock was either a good time or a bad time. <laughs> um, and it was, the, the, he was the law. Mm. And mom was there to help us and protect us and support us. Um, and to this day, she's just, that's the same. That's what she does. She's taking care of me my entire life. So what well, I'm going to ask the like digging question. You can tell me it's none of my business. And you're not no, answer it. Um, like some people have that experience. They look back on it with resentment and frustration with that. Right. Some of them look back on it. Like I'm thankful because, but for that, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be who I am. When, when you have the opportunity and you probably did when he passed in 12, 2012, like to look back through that. Like, where's your mindset on it? Thankful, frustrated, happy? I think it's, um, now that it's, what, 12 years away, it I've, it goes both ways, Stuart. Um, yeah. There's good and bad. Um, there's good because it taught me to be who I am, um, to stand up for my beliefs. Um, you know, the bad was, you know, there's, um, you know, drinking and alcohol and stuff like that. And, you know, stuff that really isn't good. So it's helped me as I get older and what I do is to, to moderate and not do things that aren't right. Mm. Um, it, it also makes me realize about it's a team, it's a mother, it's a, a husband and a wife that gets you through it. You know, we'll talk more about my, my bride later on or whenever, but she's my, uh, she's my governor. She's, she helps me see things the right way. She's very convicted in her beliefs. When sometimes I tend to stray about, well, you know, that's not that big of a deal. She's convicted and it mm-hmm. helps me stay on path and stay on line. So my dad was, was a, uh, demanding father, great, uh, example of how to work hard and do, do the things the right way. And, uh, I think back on it in a, in a good light. Yeah. Not a bad light. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then how much of that colors who you are and how you parent through it. I, yeah. I feel like as as I've grown up a little bit, not that I'm act always grown up, but as I've grown up a little bit, I've realized how much those experiences color who you are and what you do. And sometimes you stay the course, and sometimes you I say pendulum parent or whatever you pendulum the other way because like, that was awful. And there's no right answer, and there's no easy button for it. It's just part of everybody's story, man. All right. Yeah. Yep, everybody has parents. Yeah, yeah. And the part of the story, I mean, <clears throat> another parallel is the whole college, how we discovered college, which when I when I tell the almost exact same story, I tell, right. this isn't recommended. This is just part of my story. So <laughs> It's so different than what people do today. I know. I mean, um, the, the school visits and where you're taking your kids to for school visits has turned into mini vacations these days. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, my... Um, it was weird. I've got f- four buddies at all. We all went to grade school together and 
we're all still together. We're all still friends now, and we just celebrated our 60th birthdays last July together, which is really cool. That's then, awesome, man. Yeah. Th- then we got together again here in September for, went to an SMU game. They came and visited, but um, all of us went to grammar school together, and then a couple of them went to Mount Carmel High School, which is a boys' school, a big prep school, <clears throat> and then the either the ones that were didn't have the money or just didn't want to go to Catholic school, decided to stick to went to, to Washington. Well, Mike, my best friend um, throughout high school and college went to um, Mount Carmel, but we all stayed in contact. You know, even though we went to Washington, we'd get off school and we'd still screw around. He was going to Bradley and I hadn't even given it a thought. Now I was really good in academics in high school, but I worked hard at it. I mean, I, I studied a lot probably because my dad would, have an issue if I didn't. Yeah. <clears throat> so you would have an issue if yeah. you didn't. So I graduated high in a class and um didn't even dad had a heart attack when I was a senior in high school. I think we may have gotten a grant or two, but Bradley was at that time was a private school. Um it was more expensive than, you know, Illinois State or U of I probably. I don't know if it was hard to get into, but they accepted my application. I, I sent one application. That's where it was sent to. They accepted I didn't show up on the campus until orientation. The day we we're the next two days later, we we're starting school. Well, probably three days because then we went through rush and did the fraternity thing, which, you know, I can't believe my mom and dad even allowed me to do that because <laughs> what you what I know today, there's no my kids aren't, didn't go through fraternities. Um, some good things and bad things about fraternities. It's in their whole yeah. podcast probably, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was, I went to Bradley, Mike went to Bradley, we hung out, we roomed together. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I said, yeah, I'll be an engineer. It sounded fun. It sucked. <laughs> I mean, the first semester was, you know, I'm used to A's and I'm getting a, a 2.0 GPA and I dropped calculus and had something called some matrix electrical matrix crap i still don't know binary numbers i'm like what the hell is all this about <laughs> so i said this isn't for me in the fraternity there were some guys that were in construction a guy named jim allen who's one of my mentors um he has his own construction business in illinois called george allen construction um, which he is in the process of selling or doing a um some kind of getting out of it he's older than i am a little bit he said he was, in, he was in construction. I said, well, my that sounds great. So I went into construction. And after that, it was all A's and B's and did really well. And um, so, yeah, that was my college experiences. A lot of fraternity, a lot of partying. Um, I worked busboy during the weekend. So I stayed a lot, kind of out of trouble. But, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of laughs and fun. And and got a good got a good education. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <clears> to <throat> pull back through your, uh, some of the notes you made about Mike, he wrote a book about you guys growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And I say more about that. So he, um, was in the newspaper business in um, in small town, he lived in Oswego and then he ran a news, he was a editor in Oswego. Um, or it may not, it may have been a neighbor in town, Plainfield or something like that. And then obviously the newspaper business just started dying. Um, and you know, he did some online stuff, did some things here and there, and he's pretty much retired now. Um, he met his wife, Lori at Bradley. They're, they're married still. Um, and I was his best man and it's, we just saw them probably two or three weeks ago and he decided to write a book. So he wrote a book called breaking the chains and it's 
set in the southeast uh, southeast side of Chicago. It's a fiction book. He says it's not, you know, the characters are all made up, but you can read the book and I know exactly yeah. who, 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 you know, who everybody is because he does perfect job of the personalities of everybody. Um, and it came out on Amazon, I think about a month ago. And, uh, you know, I bought like five copies and all my buddies bought copies. He let me, he let us all, the four of us, uh, read his draft and gave him comments on the draft. And yeah, it's pretty cool. We're excited for him. That's awesome. Yeah. Like when you read it, you're you like, that's, that character's me. Oh you know? yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, 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 yeah, I know that. And, but I, we, I took it to, um, I read the draft. So I took it, we just got, we went to Colorado, uh, this weekend, visited my oldest son and his, and my daughter-in-law. And I took it and read it up there on the plane. That's usually when I do my readings on the plane or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, my wife is giving me Kleenex because I, I started crying in one part of the story. And I'm like, this, this is so great. And I'm sitting there laughing out loud at some of the stories. <laughs> and it's just, it brought, it just brought back great memories. And it kind of prepped me for this, for what we're doing here, because it just brings back all those great memories. But he's a brilliant writer, very creative um, he's an only child and he is, he's, uh, lived like two blocks away from me. So it's, it's been great. What's the part of that story and you're reading it that gets you in the feels? So, um, his, the character, the main character is, uh, is a guy named Beeve Struzer. No, no. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the guy, what the name is, but it's, he, um, befriended a, a girl. He went to, um, he was in high school and he went into a class, a uh, middle school class, and it was about um, helping uh, underprivileged or uh, handicapped children. Yeah. And he got paired with a girl named Anne Marie, and he's a football player. So the first thing he started doing was, hey, I'm just here to help, you know, try to educate these retards and stuff like that. Well, her, her brother had Down syndrome. Yeah. So he found out about that and he felt like an idiot. Well, he got to really become friends with Charlie, who was her brother. Well, Charlie got beat up um, at a dime store by some kids. So uh, the character chased down the kids and beat the crap out of them. And then Amory found out and it was just really cool. The whole family loved him. I mean, it was like one of those yeah. things. So he protected his girlfriend's brother who was yeah. had Down syndrome. Yeah. And I'm sitting there reading. He writes so well. I'm like, this is just... Man, it's, it's awesome. I feel great after I, I cried a little bit, but it was good. Yeah. People with that <clears> special <throat> gift have a, it is a special gift to be able to, you're sitting there reading and you feel right. like you're in the middle of it. And yeah, it's a, it's a special gift. Um, all right. Where we go from there? Construction, Bradley, construction, construction keeps construction. pulling you back. I don't know if you were trying to run from it and it's just magnetized to you, but eventually mm -hmm. you graduate and. Yeah. Graduate. So, um, spa glass which is a great company, um, came to Bradley for some odd reason. I mean, Bradley had, had a good, has a good construction program. <laughs> and uh, we interviewed, you know, we signed up for interviews in Spa Glass. Yeah, it's a glass company. Well, you know, find out in the interview, it's not a glass company. Yeah. And no, then, yeah. And then um, my uh, Steve Gross and I, who are both in the same fraternity, we've known each other now since we were 18 years old. Um, he grew up in um, South Holland, so just south of where I grew up. Didn't meet him until until uh, college freshman year. We both got offers to go to Spa Glass in Texas. Twenty four thousand dollars a year. We thought we were rich, and we found out. I think the the Friday we were leaving to drive down to spring break. So it was a good spring break. Yeah. <laughs> so we both accepted. Um, drove. He drove his car. I drove my car. 
went to Houston for two weeks for orientation. Then they shipped us both up to Dallas. And um, we were in Dallas for eight and a half years. And Spall Glass was, and you know, we worked our way from assistant project manager to quality control manager. Um, S, uh, Spall Glass got bought out by a French company called SAE. So I spent some time actually in Bethesda, Maryland, yeah. you know, some stuff like that. They wanted us to move to San Antonio because they were closing their Dallas office. And um, I was going through a really tough time. I was going through a divorce. I was married for four years, um, trying to save that marriage. Um, it was a, a girl that I knew from Bradley and it just wasn't working, but I also didn't want to just pick up and leave and go to San Antonio. So I, I knew um, Tom French was uh, also at Bradley. Uh, my, I was his pledged father in our fraternity. He actually worked for for uh, Spring Valley, and um, he got me an interview with Mike Gray. And like three months later, they hired me. I quit, um, pissed Spall Glass off quite a bit. <laughs> <clears throat> and um, three months later, I brought Steve Gross over to, to Spring Valley. And Steve and I still are at Spring Valley Construction together. So we've known each other now for crap. 42 years almost it's yeah. nuts that we he and i have been together um we lived together for the first six months he's a great loyal friend um somebody i love dearly um but you know i went to a, a function went to a conference in san antonio um it was for heb stores and they have all they bring all their general contractors together and spa glass was there and the president of spa, or I don't know if he's a president or what he is now, but um, a guy named Mike Emmons was at the conf, was at the the meeting, and he's now president. He was in our orientation when we back in 1985. Oh man! So I got to go up to him, and he remembered me. He said he did. I don't know if he did or not, but <laughs> you know, I congratulated him, and uh, so yeah. So that was spa glass story, and then came to Spring Valley. What's the and Kevin? Yeah, Kevin loves it. <clears throat> Kevin loves it when I do this. But time, when did you come to? Leave Sparglass and go to Spring Valley timeline for us. Uh, 93. Okay. Yeah. So I, 85, I started at Sparglass, left in 93. And then um, I stayed at uh, Spring Valley until 2008. So in our 15, 15 and a half years, worked my way. You know, when I hired on at Spring Valley, I had, um, had a mullet, full headed hair, believe it or not. <laughs> I was 29 years old. I thought I was the greatest thing ever. Um, it, just it, it's embarrassing, somewhat embarrassing. Which part? The mullet? Right? The, no, not the mullet. I, I dig the mullet. I, I wish I could have a mullet now. It's back. They are back. Full <laughs> throttle. Right. They're back. Yeah. So you know, I worked. I worked hard. I uh, worked my way up from. I actually got hired on as a project manager there. Worked my way up to senior project manager to VP of operations in like 2005, and then you know. 2008, you know, we were, there was talks that a couple of us were going to be able to be in line for ownership at, 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 uh, Spring Valley. There was kind of a little, you know, there was Jim Archer, who is the patriarch of the company is now 78. Mm. Unbelievable man. Yeah. Very generous. Uh, and then Mike Gray was the president of Spring Valley. Um, and then Danny Copeland were the three owners. Danny Copeland, still my partner, awesome man also, godly man. And then, uh, Mike Gray was running the operations and you know, I had an allegiance to Mike because he was my ops guy. Um, and then, you know, we went, I was still going home every once in a while to visit my mom and dad. And, um, you know, just a per chance went to lunch with my sister in South Chicago and her boss is the CFO. 
And um, he's from Bradley also. He's a year younger than I am. And we started visiting. He goes, hey, you know, we got an opening to run our Illinois division downtown. I'm like, well, that's great. Hope, good luck. And, and he was persistent. He was persistent. Yeah, that's a really important hire. Don't yeah, mess that's it up. right. Don't mess it up. <laughs> so he was persistent. And over the next three months, um, you know, I just started talking to my wife who was from Texas. Um, I think my uh, John was in fifth grade and Joe had really had, he's six years younger. So he was probably getting ready to go to kindergarten. And we just started talking a little bit about it. Um, found out there wasn't any opportunity to be any equity uh, ownership of Spring Valley. And dad was, had a stroke, um, just wasn't doing great. So we decided to pick up everything and just move and, mm. and accepted the job. It was like three months after that. So left, uh, you know, late 08. Then the recession hit and, um, you know, things were tough in Chicago, but things were also tough at Spring Valley when I left. So I stayed in contact with a lot of my friends at Spring Valley and, you know, they went from, you know, 90 some employees down to 35 employees. It got really scary. A lot of my buddies were leaving and, and, um, just was really difficult. So, but I stayed in touch with everybody cause we'd still come back for weddings and, you know, things like that. Cause, and Teresa's family was still here. Um, so it was really weird. It was like, you're watching, you're watching a company go through something and you're looking at it from afar and you're you're trying not to overanalyze it because you're going through the same thing in Chicago. I'm trying to learn a whole new city, subs, owners, architects, trying to figure all that, trying to figure out a new boss, um, coworkers that are, they, they had multiple divisions. So you're trying to figure all that out. And then you talk to people that were going through a bunch of hard times here in Dallas and it was difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. Let me take you back <clears throat> to the decision to leave. Yeah. Um, and this actually is asking for a friend. I have a really good friend who has been offered a job to leave. He's like to leave Dallas. He's um, similarly situated as that moment in time for you guys. And I know it's picking up kids. It sounds like uh, your your wife's rooted here. He's ripping up roots to go, all that stuff. So tell me about the process of making that decision. Really, I'm trying to pick at some advice there oh. uh, for a buddy, to be honest. Well, ultimately, it was selfish. I mean, I wanted to go back to be, see my mom and dad. I wanted our, my, my boys to to know their grandmother and grandfather and my sister and my brother-in-law and their, my, you know, I had two nieces that were a little older than John really wanted to be, you know, we went back thinking it was our forever thing. Yeah. You know, we didn't go back and say, well, let's just go for a couple of years. We went back forever, forever. And, um, so it was selfish for family reasons, but I also saw that it was an opportunity for my work. Um, again, we haven't talked about my wife yet, but you know, she, gave up everything, sacrificed, uh, her, her, um, you know, she was a Mary Kay sales director. Um, she put everything on hold for our kids, our kids uprooted and left everything that they know. It was really difficult, but then we got there, found a beautiful house, about a mile and a half from my mom and dad and family, everything was great. And the, but the more I got into my job, I love my job. I love the people I was working with. I just didn't, you know, the owner and I have different philosophies on how to lead people. Mm, sure. And and his way is the highway. And I had I had an issue with that. Yeah. But I dealt with it for four years because dad was alive and we were enjoying what we were doing there as a family. So back to your question, it was selfish. But now coming back to Spring Valley in 12, 
there's no way I would have been prepared to do what I'm doing now mm-hmm. if I hadn't gone through that four years of learning, mm-hmm. of, of going out on a limb and not knowing anybody and trying to make it and you know doing what I needed to do to make it. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. So, and I'm glad our kids did it. My, my boys, I think are both better off for it. Um, my wife really had a hard time with it because the people in Chicago aren't as nice as the people in Texas. Yeah. No, they're not. And, no, um, we are not. And she, you know, but she, these guys are not, nah. but she did an amazing job. I mean, she ended up being volunteer of the year at the middle school and, um, you know, just, she's really good at people. Um, and she adapted. She totally sacrificed everything for us, though. Yeah. Um, and it was really great when we had to make the decision to come back. Um, we had a group. We had a little family meeting, and they're all like, "Let's go," which was really, really difficult to do. Yeah. <clears throat> you eliminated what it could have, should have. Like, it, 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 yeah, and you had family roots there. So yeah, like, I don't. Sh- I don't ever have to sit there and say, "I wish I would have done that." No, I did it. Um, now, you talk about the excitement to come back to spring Valley and be president and, um, be owner of the company and to leave my mom and my sister was a horrible, horrible, very, very difficult decision because I love them both dearly. And, and I knew that the burden of taking care of mom was going to be on my sister Mm, and that was hard and she still does it and she does an amazing job at it, but it was, you know, we try to make a point to go back four or five times a year and to see them. It's still difficult though. Um, but the fruits at Spring Valley have been wonderful for us to afford us to be able to go back as much as we want. So, yeah. um, Let, let's um, let's drop a pin there if, because there, oh, there'll be a part of that Spring Valley story that I want to pick up and tell. But you're right; we haven't spoken much about your wife. Tell us about your wife. Wow. Um, so I met Teresa um, about the same time I started at Spring Valley Construction. So in '93, we had both gone through some um, divorces. She was living in Houston. She was a Mary Kay sales director, had a union here in Dallas, so she'd come back. And um, I had a buddy of mine that I played softball with who I bought four tickets to go to Travis Tritt and Trisha Yearwood concert. So this is 93. Where were they playing? They were playing at the old Starplex, which is now... What yeah, Dosakis Dos or something like that? I don't even know what it is. Isn't it had like seventy five different names? I know, yeah. yeah. So I had four tickets, and then I had just broke up with the girl that I had been seeing. So I'm like, well, Kevin, you and Katie want to use these tickets? He goes, well, why don't we just we'll go, we'll go find the date? I go, dude, I don't have a date. I'm fresh out. So he said, <laughs> fresh, out. <laughs> so, fresh out. So he said, well, let me call Katie, and Katie uh, has a friend that's in Houston. She's five foot ten, blonde, good looking. So I called her up. We went on a date. Well, she said I can't go with you until we have until I meet you beforehand. So I took her the night before to dinner. And then we went to a concert and had a great time. And then on and off again, she moved back to Dallas and we got married. She is a um she's now a real estate um broker or a an agent, real a residential. She's the best most awesome real estate agent. Um, she's the best mom. She is, um, well, I, you know, I found out today or this weekend with John, John's now 25, getting ready to be 26, our oldest son. And we went there just to, we fly in every once in a while just to drop generosity on them. We took them to nice places to dinner and went to Breckenridge and, um, John, 
I found out that he had never had alcohol until he was 21 years old. Wow. And he went to A&M, graduated construction degree, and that's all mom. I mean, that's mom, you know, this is, this is the right thing to do. I'm convicted. This is how we're going to raise you. Um, and John was a difficult raise and he got through it. He ended up being like the top undergraduate at A&M. You know, one of the proudest moments of my life, we went to the ceremony, the hard hat ceremony, and he gets the award for being the top undergrad. And you're like, crap, yeah. this, this kid is freaking phenomenal. This kid is phenomenal. I mean, he's so grown up. He worked for Beck now. Um, he interned with Spring Valley. Um, funny story, we went on Friday, we flew in. Um, Teresa and I have a little Mexican restaurant, so we went and had a couple margaritas, Ubered to his job site, and he gave us a tour of the job site. And we took a picture, a group picture of us, and I had back gear on. I said, I'm not wearing it. He goes, you got to wear it. <laughs> so I sent it back to um, three guys at Spring Valley, uh, Kelly and Miller Page, who are brothers, and Ernie Bryant, who's our development manager. You know Ernie. I love Ernie. It, you know, and the Kelly, the Kelly and Miller story I'd like to come back to that while I was in Chicago, but, um, so Kelly, um, photoshopped it and took the back, the back, uh, <laughs> and put Spring Valley on there and sent it back to John <laughs> dro dropping hints to come back, you know, to, to Spring Valley. But he, they're, they're, she's just great. I mean, she's a great mother. She's a great wife. Um, we love being, spending time together. I mean, my, I'm having withdrawals because we were together for five days um, yeah. and it's tough being away from her, but she's brilliant. She's brilliant. She didn't go to, she doesn't have a college degree, has a high school degree, went through vocational, had a really rough, uh, upbringing and you know, her, her, uh, stepdad is awesome. He's my father-in-law and he is, uh, awesome. And as my mother-in-law, they live in, in Azel. So we get to see them, you know, yeah. once every month or so. So. It's good. Yeah, she's a very convicted, smart, you know, I call her the mayor of Sunnyvale. We live in Sunnyvale, and she knows if we'll go to a football game or a basketball game, half of the people in the stand, she's either been a client, they've been her client, coaching staff. She gives back money from every sale uh, to the school district. Um, yeah, man, I got way, way lucky. I'll catch your coverage. Isn't that what we say? Yeah. I'll catch your coverage. What about those boys? Well, John is uh, an old soul. Um, we had a great time together here recently. He's 25, going to be 26. Um, so is he in Denver? Where's, he's in Denver, just south, uh, just in Denver by Wash Park, which is a really cool little area. They've been there since last January. Okay. So they'll be there for another year. My, my um, daughter-in-law is brilliant. Smart as a whip, um, beautiful. They've met, <laughs> funny, you know, this is going to be story time. So Love it. Yeah, that's where we're here. So our um, school superintendent at Sunnyvale, his name is Doug Williams, who's a good friend of mine. Um, we have an old man workout group that every two days a week for the last eight years we've been working out. There's eight of us that get together to go to the school field house and work out on Saturdays and Wednesdays, like tonight. Well, Doug was superintendent of the school system. Um, got me involved in the Sunnyvale Education Foundation, which I was president for four years, on the board for seven years, raised a lot of money for foundations and grants. Well, um, Doug's da uh, niece went to Cattle Mills, and her and John are the same age, and she needed a date for her prom, 
And she didn't want to take anybody from Caddo. So she asked her uncle Doug, who who would he recommend? Well, of course he recommends John. Mm-hmm. And Caddo Mills and Sunnyvale are are rivals. So John says, I ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> well, after some chiding and some rebuking, he ended up going to over to her house, had dessert, met her. All right, I'll go. They went to he went to <laughs> they went to prom. It went and and Lauren is very driven, very this is how my life's going to go. It's going to be career, 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 career. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get married. Maybe I'll have kids. And um, they, she went to Baylor. He went to A&M. She went to, ba- she went to A&M to meet a friend in you know, early September, right after school started, and they've been together ever since. They got married right after college. Um, they did, did that long-distance relationship for four years. And um, they're happy living their life. They're going skiing every other weekend to up in Breckenridge or Keystone. Um, she's a, a CPA, has a master's degree from Baylor, went through their fellow program. We don't play games with her, board games, because she wins everything. Mm. <laughs> she's like one of the smartest people I know. Um, and it gets very frustrating, um, me being a little bit competitive. <laughs> but they're there. Um, they may they may come back one day. Her parents live here also. We'll see. Um, but he's doing a great job. He's on a 20-story building right now in charge of all the MEP, um, doing a great job. He's trying to work his way up the Beck system. Likes Dallas, likes Denver, but he did Dallas just because of the size of it. You know, it's more family. Um, And then Joe is uh, 20. He's at SMU. He's a sophomore. Um, He's on the football team. He's a, he uh, walk on, preferred walk on, uh, went to Sunnyvale, did really well in all sports. He's an athlete. Um, John's 6'5", Joe's 6'3", so both of my kids are tall. J- Joe's very athletic, um, and he's just got into spring football. He's doing trying to work his way up. It's really difficult these days with scholarships and transfer portals. Transfer and, portals killing it. Yeah. yeah, so he got to he got to play in his first game. His, he redshirted his freshman year, and then he got into three games this, this last year. His first game he got into was against Prairie View. And we were there, my, my wife and I were there with his, his roommates, Michael. Um, he's a walk-on punter. His parents were there. And Joe got into the game. It was like 55 to nothing. <laughs> so Joe got into his first game. The first drive, the sixth play, uh, he was you know basically just blocking, running some routes. He They were on the 23-yard line. And I'm the, guessing he plays tight end. No, a he's a receiver. Okay. Actually, he's a receiver. And okay. he was, he's playing left side. Um, the quarterback rolled out, the cornerback bit, Joe caught a pass on the five yard line and stumbled in for a touchdown. Let's go. And it was like, holy crap. Yeah. Did we just witness this? I, yes. You know, this last, uh, August, September was, you know, I don't know if you ever think of it, the older you get, you think about the best times of your life. So from August to the end of September was the last year was the best 60 days of my life. We had, had my, my 60th birthday with my buddies growing up. We went to my other, one of my buddies' weddings in Indianapolis. I had my 60th birthday party, which my wife had a five-day extravaganza. <laughs> we had people come in for the SMU game. Um, we partied at the house. She catered everything. And then we went to, uh, and John and Lauren were in, my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law were in for that. And then in, um, I think, early September, we went someplace else. 
And then the football game happened where he caught the pass. And then we went to the Ryder Cup. I mean, it's like the 60 days of just like Steve Bruiser. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, I can write a book just on this 60 days. Yeah. So Ryder Cup in Italy. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, in Italy. So, so uh, Joe's a big golfer. Um, I think he stayed in Dallas just because he wants to to use my da- Dallas Athletic Club membership. Yes. So he's there <laughs> once. Not a bad decision. <laughs> so he's there once a week playing golf. Um, and he's studying hard, trying to be in uh, occupational therapy or physical therapy. Doesn't want to be in construction, which is great. Um, <laughs> so we get to see him quite often. So that's the, that's my two boys. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You said a couple, we get, we kind of spin into the second, second chapter of the Spring Valley story here in a second, but you said two things that really stuck out to me. One of them was like the ju- the excitement, the jubilation of seeing the athletic success of your kids. Yeah, like that's something I didn't have. I would not have anticipated because I would have thought like my own story, but I see it in yours too. Is like, oh my my good old days were good old. No, my good old days are trash compared to that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean anything. My entertainment is watching my kids compete. Yeah, I watched. You know, John was a basketball player, did really well. Um, and Joe did everything. Joe ran track. He went, actually took third in the four by two at state when he was a junior. Um, and he was, you know, golf and basketball, football. I love, I was one of those parents that was always there. Yeah. You know, one of the, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cry, but one of the best gifts. So, uh, I, my kids gave me a, um, it was a jar I don't know, about 10 inches wide and 10 inches tall. And it was filled in, filled up with colored paper for my 60th birthday. It was all construction paper folded up. So if you don't, I might, I know how this go on though. So they each took 20 pieces of paper and they wrote down what they loved about me. So, so Joe wrote down 20 things, Lauren wrote down 20 things in genre. And that was my gift. And you talk, and that's sitting on my back, my back credenza in my office and there's no better, and a lot of them, you know, with, you're always there, um, you know, you're generous and you, you know, you, you give great hug, you know, some of them were, but some more really deep stuff that just really are like, all right, I've done okay. Yeah. I, there's still, I'm, I still got a lot of flaws and a lot of weaknesses, but there was really re- reassuring and confirming that, you know, it's been, it's been a good life so far. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Best gift ever to let somebody know how you feel. Yeah. I believe that. That jar, I can see it. I can feel it. I can, like, yeah. I know it, man. It's right on the back of my back redundant with photos of family and, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of good stuff. Bef- before we go forward on Spring Valley, I want to go back to Chicago a little sure. bit. Sure, love to. Just, just time stamping some stuff since you're a time stamper. So yeah. he goes there in 08, right? 08? You're mm-hmm. a time stamper. Right. 07 is when I transitioned to the office for the first time, out of the field, out of college, into the office. And I'm in line at the fax machine. For those younger folks that are listening, there's a, we had to fax bids and I would fax at my entry level position, Berglund bids. Did you really? On bid day. And the thing is, it'd be like a a project, it'd be like six contractors it needs to go to. So I have six proposals and you're speed entering the fax number to get it in by 2 PM kind of thing. And you got to get all six in. And I'm like, I hope I sent Berglund's to the right. Phone number, I don't know. And the general contractor's bitching because it's two o'clock and it's they need to get theirs in by two o'clock and they don't have your number yet. That's right. <laughs> it, it was it was a wild ride at that fax machine. And I checked in with my old man because my old man is still a union caulker. He actually just turned in his retirement papers to the hall this week. Right. Oh, wow. So big kudos to my old man. Yeah. But he's done several Berglund jobs. Yeah. They do a lot of restoration, a lot of old building restoration. You know, the 
like one story I've got is is uh, when I first got there. This was, I think, like October. They landed a project that was called the Skywalk or the ledge. It was called the Ledge, and it was uh, on the Willis Tower, and it was a six month duration. And the, the, I mean, the contract value wasn't crazy. It was like three million dollars, but it was on the hundred third floor of the Willis Tower, which is the observation deck. And what they what the contract was was to go up there, modify the st- the structure, modify the curtain wall to accept three glass boxes that would um, that would mechanically go out beyond the building five feet. So it's all glass floor, glass walls, glass ceiling. And it was a six month six month project. Andre Pantaro was my project manager. And I, you know, I got some great stories from my project managers, Anthony Rosignolo stays touching me. Andre Pantaro stays in touch with me. Just some of those relationships. But um, one day we were going out to, I was like the the VP of operations, but as also the project exec. So I'd go out to the job and it's probably a mile walk. So I'd get to, our office was at Michigan and Wacker and I'd walk to the Willis Tower and the meetings would be like at eight o'clock. I'd get there like seven, seven thirty which is cool. So you're going up to the observation deck. The whole thing's empty. And you go up there and you're looking out. If you look to the east, you're looking out right at the at the lake and you're seeing how beautiful the lake is. You're looking how beautiful this, you look a little bit to the north. You're seeing the city, downtown. Well, I mean, it's just, it's glorious. I mean, you're sitting there saying, man, God, am I alive? This is gorgeous. You're watching the sun come up and being up on top of the deck. But there was one time when I went out for a meeting, the, the, the glass contractor was modified. They were on swing stages from the top of the roof. So we're on hundred third story. I think it was like 1300 feet up. And these, these glazers are outside modifying the curtain wall because they got to get the box to go out. And there were actually clouds rolling into the space. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> I mean, if you have a death wish, you can jump out and be gone, but you're sitting there and you're watching clouds roll in and you're sitting there like, nobody's going to believe this. It's a story that I'll never forget. I mean, I'm just looking out there. You look out here, the sun's rising. You see these clouds rolling into the into the space, and you're building something that now is a a big attraction for Chicago to go for people to go out there and walk on the on the sky on the sky ledge. So the the cur- the the glass is out. The the wall is open because they're fixing it. So when you say the clouds roll through the space, mm-hmm. you mean literally they yeah. pass through the through the, the opening open deck. into into the, <laughs> into the room. Yeah, and the, and the and the box <laughs> the box moves about ten feet, so it's five foot out, and then it can roll into flat, so it'll allow window washers, and then it will actually roll in five foot for maintenance. So, so you got tracks, steel beam, I beams on the on the floor, on the ceiling, and motors, and you got I think their their IT or their communication center was right below us on the hundred second floor. So, just and then trying to get the glass is all uh, inch and a half thick. It has to. It was so big and heavy. It'd have to ride on top of the elevator because it couldn't fit in the elevator cab. So all the glass was transported up into the space at nighttime. It, it was just a logistics nightmare. Do you know? Do you know it's if amazing. you you your memories like a steel trap? I don't do know you, about that. Do you do you remember <laughs> the first two floors where you go through the line to mm-hmm. get up? Yeah. Did you were you part of that too? No. Okay. No. I did that. I was did the, you? I was the PM estimator yeah. on the glass down below. 
that got you before really? you got to the box. Yeah. yeah M- do you know MTH? Oh, yeah. That was the sub. There were, I mean, the guy, I can't remember, like Ludwig was the guy's name, Ludwig Cerny. But yeah, he was great. And he, I mean, they managed, they did an unbelievable job. It was a great, great experience. Yeah. I, my VP of Ops worked there. Yeah. I don't know during that. Probably not. He's a little younger. Um, but yeah, so many small world stories. The, the tough thing about Sears Tower, Willis Tower, it, because it's such a massive building, so many occupants, you had to get your materials in and your window was from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. Yeah. And the hallways <laughs> were short and and narrow and 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 you had to get these big glass units there that you we had to build a tilt table that brought it in diagonally, every single piece one at a time. If you were one of hundreds of people lining up, so you had to get in line for this dock, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. You were getting up at 1 a.m. just to show up. It, it was it was tough sledding, man. It is tough sledding, all yeah. of that. Yeah, pretty cool. Got to work in some really cool, got to work in the Museum of Science Industry for several jobs, which was really cool. You know, it was built back for the, uh, one of the world fairs back, I think it was in the eight, late 1800s or in a building that's, you know, 125 years old. It's just really cool. Yeah. And that's, again, you're walking through that space and it's empty usually because, you know, it's early morning and you're just in the museum all by yourself. It's just like, man, this is really cool. Yeah. So, a lot of good memories from being in Chicago. <laughs> okay, so how, we are ping-ponging this all over the place. Yeah, I know. Per use. That's okay. But I'm going to hard stop, pull us forward to your return to Spring Valley. Okay. Right, that's the moment in time we sort of stopped telling chronology. So let's take it back there. You guys made the decision we're going home. Yep, going home. Um, Spring Valley was just you know, starting to come out of the recession, things were still slow. Um, you know, revenue wasn't great. Um, when I came back, there were some people there that, that left when I came back, which is not unusual. Um, some had been new hires, some had been old people that thought they were going to get some kind of position. So there was a little bit of, you know, turnover. I brought back a couple of people that had left while I was gone. Um, Steve Gross was one of them. Project, he's a senior project manager who I've known since I've been 18. He left while I was gone. And then Richard Kavnar, um, who's our VP of pre-construction, brought him back. Um, he's probably the best hire that we brought back. Um, you'll Hopefully you'll get to meet him in our Bible study. He's brilliant. He's retiring in uh, the end of July, and he's a great friend one of the smartest people I know. Um, so we had to do some rebuilding. We had to go back out there and do some business development. We had a, a company life coach, I guess, um, that I think a lot of contractors in town have had, a guy named Adam Van Dale, who helped um, put together our business philosophy of how we we're going to operate, our core values and our brand promise, helped us with business development and marketing. And, you know, now we've, we've gone, we've, basically uh almost by tenfold increased our revenue increased our company uh, employees you know we were really big on honesty and transparency and character so it's you know service value character commitment are our for svcc are our core values our brand promise is an enjoyable experience so we've had that brand promise forever and that's really difficult to provide an enjoyable experience during a construction process because most construction processes are long, um, go for, you know, anywhere from eight to 
24 months and, tr- and owners don't, aren't usually very patient. They don't understand all of our issues and problems. So you have to re- communicate that with them. You have to be honest with them. Um, but it's not just, we, we just don't want to provide an enjoyable experience to our owners. We also want to enjoy working for them. So it's very difficult to try to find the right clients that, that you work well with. Majority of our work, thankfully, is negotiated, um, a lot of repeat business. But I tell all of our employees that when they hire, I meet with every new hire and say, it's, you know, it's enjoyable experience to our clients and our architects and engineers. That's, that's all upstream. But downstream is subcontractors because 90% of what we do is sub-related. And if our subs don't enjoy working for us, then we're not going to make it. And the, the, the key thing for most subs is cash flow and money. So if we're paying our subs on time, that's 90% of the enjoyable experience. So, yeah. so I carry with me in my briefcase, my accounts receivable um, on our company. And I call and I'm, I'm, if we're past three days, I'm calling every owner saying, what, I've earned the money. We've earned the money. Where's my money? So I can pay the subs on time. So it's downstream to subcontractors and suppliers. We also, same thing, we want to enjoy working with subcontractors. So that means you provide the manpower, give us competitive prices, um, do it safely, quality, all that good stuff. But then horizontally to our employees, we want to make sure that our employees enjoy working for us. Um, you know, we give them a competitive salary. We give them... Uh, health insurance, life insurance, vision, 401k, but we also expect them in return to work hard and be honest and to treat others the way they want to be treated. So the golden rule. So I'm really big on character. I'm really big on the golden rule. Um, I'm opinionated. So sometimes (laughs) I can be difficult, but I'm also another weakness is I get to the point where I'm, um, task oriented. So I'll, I'll keep my head down and work on something and sometimes not recognize greatness and something, you know, or something that's done, been done well. And I need, that's why you hire good people yeah. to be around you to say, Hey, knucklehead, wake up. This just happened. Um, and we have a bunch of people like that, that are good employees that take care of me. So, so yeah, so Spring Valley's, you know, back now it's coming up on another, what, I guess 12 more, 12 years or again. Yeah. So it's a little, and you know, it's not unusual at Spring Valley. We have a lot of people that have, that will leave for one reason, but then come back. And I think that it's a positive because the grass isn't greener. What they they miss is one, all of our owners are in the same building. If they got an issue, they come talk to us. But we also, I I think the golden rule is a lot to it. It's about treating people the way you want to be treated. Yeah, slingshot employee. <laughs> you would think, well, they left. That's a ba- that's a bad thing. That there's no. What everybody has a moment where you're like, I'm going to go explore an opportunity. I'm going to go see if the the grass is whatever. Right. It's a, there's different reasons. Yeah. It could be like mine was to go back to family, but it was also I didn't see uh, ownership opportunity at Spring yeah. Valley. So why continue doing that when I can do the same thing up in Chicago and be with family? So yeah. Um, everybody, everybody has different reasons and sometimes, and I'm not really good. There's, <laughs> there's people listening to this. I'm not very good at accepting people leaving. Um, I, I love Spring Valley construction and I get defensive when people say, well, I'm leaving because of whatever. Well, 
you're an idiot. <laughs> That's usually my response, but then I get over it. But you know, so anyways. Well, let me, there's a, <clears throat> there's a sort of a tangent point to that, that I want to make, that I made a note I want to make, which is if, if you have a horizontal commitment to your brand promise of providing an enjoyable experience. And what that means is your folks enjoy working for you. Mm-hmm. How are you monitoring that? And and I guess, let me ask the question differently. Cause I'm curious how you're monitoring the, your, whether or not you're hitting your brand promise upstream, downstream, and horizontally, how are you doing that? Well, um, I think upstream it's, if you're getting negotiate work, if you're getting repeat clients, if you're continue getting work with the same people and, um, that's usually a good point. Our marketing department, uh, Whitney and Natalia do a great job of testimonials, getting testimonials, sending out post-project performance updates. Um, you know, subcontractors, is probably a little bit more um, touchy feely. I mean, if you're continuing, if you have subs that continue giving you prices, it means they want to continue working for you. Um, we have a really good sub base uh, of people. We probably could do a lot better job appreciating that, um, which is another big thing that I try to, I'm, I'm big on making sure that we appreciate our subs. And employees, you know, we do the the yearly employee survey for that's run through Intergage for either a Dallas Business Journal Top 100 or a Dallas Morning News. We'll do that. And when we get those results, um, we'll try to develop a strategic plan to attack three of those things, kind of similar to what Texo Board does. Mm-hmm. Come up with what's the top three or four things that we need to concentrate on for the year. Um, it gets Some of it gets frustrating because, um, you know, one of the ones we get a lot is we'll get a red mark for um, you don't accept new ideas or something like that. You know, you know, you're not open to new ideas. Well, it, it, the construction industry is pretty basic. It's blocking and tackling. If you, if you, everybody does submittals, everybody does RFIs, or you know, the platform you do it may work. You know, be different, but everybody builds a building the same way usually. They manage people, they manage owners, architects, OAC meetings, sub meetings, three-week schedules, blah, 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 blah. So there's only so many new ideas you can have. You know, okay, we got Procore, we got a scheduling program, we got open space, we got, you know, all the every, all the bells and whistles that everybody else has, we have. Yeah. So what are you looking for? I mean, and sometimes when you ask that question, you're like, well, you know, yeah, I guess we do have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. It's, it's some people when you, you get, you give, you're almost, the question almost ask for a negative response. Right. But you just have to take that with a grain of salt and try to figure out what it means. Are we truly on, we're not, and most construction companies are, especially smaller, mid-sized, family-owned, aren't on the cutting edge of technology. They're slow to react, um, slow to implement because everybody's, task oriented, usually driven people. And you don't have, sometimes you have to hire out and get third party help to, to implement things. Um, which I think most construction companies have an issue with. Yeah. And if, and you can't usually have that one person on staff unless you're big enough to afford it, you know, overhead wise. Well, and also you're not Google. I mean, just throwing a large tech company on the table here, like in the, not suggesting that construction doesn't need to be innovative, but the the innovators tend to live in the technology space, and those are easier innovations. Blah 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 blah. Right. right. Like the, or, or <clears throat> let me come back to say it the way you said it is blocking and tackling at the execution level. How do you? What do you want? Robots? Like I don't know. Yeah. They don't exist. Yeah. So yet, it, it, yet. I'm not 
you know, the other thing that we, in our core values, character is a big thing. And I always tell people that, you know, if you have care, if you have good character, the other three values come with it, service value and commitment. If you got good, if you hire good character people, then you're in a good spot as a company overall. And I always, you know, I've been taught this forever. You know, how do you, there's two ways I define character. One is what do you do when you're by yourself? And two, are you living like you're li- like you have Jesus chained to you on a six foot tether? <laughs> okay. If you're doing those two things, then you're going to, you, if you, if you're, you may not be doing it, but if you're thinking about it, you know, what should I be looking at this website or should I be doing something else? Should I be, you know, whatever it is, smoking weed or should I be reading the Bible? I mean, it's a certain thing. If you think about it, then that's, there's a lot to be said with that. And so I, you know, I always tell every new employee, we're hiring you because of your character. If your character doesn't work out, then you're not going to work out here. Mm-hmm. This is, this is how we believe. And this is how we live. It's not for everybody, but if that's who you want to be, if you want to try to be better yourself as a person, as a, and I always, when I, and when I lay down, I don't think about 85 people either. I think about 400 people. I think about hu- the wives, the husbands, the kids. We've got 400 people to to provide a life for and a career for. It's not, and I love I love our spouses more than I love our employees. I really do. I have more t- I have a better time with them <laughs> because they don't. They're, I only see them, you know, twice, three times a year, and they're not a pain in the butt like the, my, like the employees are. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I think that. You have to think big picture sometimes as you're running as you're running a company. Well, something you sorry, Kevin, I jumped in. Go ahead. You're good. But some, something I've, I thought I've never had before that I had when you were saying what you just said was the idea that the, I love the spouses more than the employees sometimes. Well, but they also have placed a different level of trust in you than the employees have because the employee has some control. They're going there and they're mm-hmm. blah. the spouse just is like you know what I'm trusting that this is going to do the things for our family that it needs to do. I'm being a little generic, but you see what I'm saying? Like it's, that's a gigantic responsibility. Yes. It's, it, and there's very few things that keep me awake. I, I usually, I think if you live honestly, um, correctly, I, I can fall asleep pretty regularly. What I worry about is, you know, if we have a situation and we got to make a tough decision someplace, I, I worry about the family. And, um, that's the hardest part for me is the people trying to figure out, you know, how to do some tough, sometimes you got to make tough decisions and that's difficult. So, but it's also rewarding when the company does well and you're, you're able to give, you know, pick up the majority of the healthcare cost or you're given, you're matching, you know, you're adding $250,000 of matching employee to 401k. Those are things that make me feel good about what we do at Spring Valley. Okay, so go, Kev. Uh, to your character thing, I at church a few weeks ago, the pastor said, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. And if you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. And I was <laughs> like, hmm, that's pretty solid. And, and what you were defining right. with character is integrity. Yeah. yeah, there's a, right behind my desk, there's a little, I think, can't remember who bought it for me. It may have been Teresa. Or, um, there's a little block thing and has a bunch of word, a word cloud on there. Integrity is the biggest word. So, you know, you're right. It's your word is, in a, you know, as you, you, as you get older, you tell your kids that the name on your back is what you need to protect. Mm. 
There's nothing more important than a name on your back. That's who you are. That's who people are going to think about me. If you do something wrong, it's affecting our name, not just you. It's affecting all of us. So live like you want to protect your name. Yeah. So, so working through the the prep sheet, I was about to ask a really stupid question because I hadn't read all the way to the bottom, which was going to be like, how much of you have Jesus tethered to you on a six foot leash is on the sleeve at Spring Valley. And then you read two more bullets down yeah. and we get to Bible study. So tell me about this. Well, um, we had a CFO, his name was Jim Ryan, and he was uh, Irish Catholic. Um, he used to walk around the office singing and whistling and whatnot. And he started a little Bible study group and, you know, we'd have two or three or four people attend to it. And to be honest with you, I didn't attend for probably the first couple of years. I'd get there early on. It was every Friday morning at seven o'clock and it's been going like this now for 25 years. Um, Jim um, has since he's gone, he, he passed away and there's now anywhere from seven to 10 people. So 10% of our company attends Bible study every Friday morning from seven, eight o'clock. And we pick out a, we'll go to a life study book of, you know, um, you know, right now we're doing the apostles or we've, we've done a book of James or Hebrews or something. And we just go through the book and spend an hour together and we pray before we pray afterwards. And that is open door. Anybody can attend. I get, uh, you know, and you got to be careful because you don't want to, you don't want to, um, wear it too much on your sleeve because you may offend somebody. It, 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 I mean, but anybody's invited to it. We've have, we have a female assistant project manager who started showing up brand new from A&M. We have a young assistant project manager. Almost our entire pre-construction department is in it. I mean, that's like six guys. Mm-hmm. So one of the, Danny and myself are in it. Um, and it is the best thing about Spring Valley construction. I think it's, it frustrates me because, um, you would think if it is so rich, why aren't other people being there? But everybody has their own things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody has their own moment in life. But Jim Ryan started it, you know, to this day, Jim Ryan was a volunteer at Scottish Rite Hospital for kids um, when he was um, later in age. We started, when he passed away, we started a teddy bear drive. So every year we collect teddy bears or money for Scottish Rite Hospital. This year we just... Um, just recently gave $8,000 um, to Scotch Wright and, a, you know, teddy bears and whatnot for the kids. We've been doing that now probably for, I think, 20 years to Scotch Wright Drive. Um, but the Bible study is awesome. I've invited Kevin. We've had some special guests that we've invited to it. I've asked Kevin. I think Kevin's coming March the 8th, I think, or something yes, like sir. that. And it's just to get to know each other. It's so personal. It's so accountable. It is what wakes me up Friday mornings to get there at seven o'clock and just fellow, just fellowship. Yeah. It's really cool. That's a different level of a relationship with your employees. And it's, I get the point of like, you, you don't wear it too much on your sleeve because all of a sudden now it feels mandatory. Yeah. And like, oh, but it's not, but like, it's not, it's not that it's not, it, I don't think it's employees. It's friends. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, right. it's, uh, it's, it's kind of before work. It's, we talk, you know, we'll, chit chat about work or we'll, and we'll bust each other up a little bit here and there. We'll make a short joke or a sarcastic joke. And, but we have some of the smartest biblical scholars. There's two people in that uh, Richard Kavnar and Randy Stevens. Um, 
they just know the Bible really well. So if you don't know the Bible, you go, you're going to learn something just by 25 years of going there, right? Yeah. You're going to figure something out. It's great to have that guy in your orbit who's like, well, yeah. actually, let me help you understand this theologically a little yeah. better. And like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's been, it's, I think, the best thing we do. I really yeah. do. It's, uh, and I hope it rubs off. I keep telling, we're in a, we have a little room, it's called the war room, which from old estimating days. Yep. But yeah. there's, it can probably fit maybe 12 people, 13, 14 people. I can't wait till we get to where it gets too many people and we have to move into a bigger room. Yeah, right. But, you know, you don't want to, again, if you want to be there, you can be there. If you don't want to be there, don't be there. Sure. Yeah. And for whatever gets people there, doesn't matter the motive. Right. Because there's a few people that do this and sometimes it's just, I want to be next to Bruiser. I want him to see me. Yeah. You know, like that's cool. Yeah. Come on in. Yeah. Right. Whatever, whatever sets the hook. I don't, there's not a lot of people that want to be near me. So I don't think, that, I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Wait, bruisers there. No. I'm out. No yeah, one bruiser. said well, no one ever. Well, I'm, I'm not going to tell a story. Well, Kendall, who um, is brand new, she's a female from A&M. She was nervous about going because I was there. Fair. She doesn't want to, you know, whatever. And I, I'm like, God, you know, probably 10 times more about the Bible than I do. Just bring it. Well, and, uh, being vulnerable around El Jefe, that's, I mean, I that's, that's a I scary thing. So I just went up to her before. And I said, look, man, I'm, I'm excited about you showing up. It's great. So yeah, it's fun. It's a fun thing that we do. It's awesome. Yeah. We ping ponged all over the place. I know. I told you I got some stories. I do oh, like yeah. a good story. Uh, um, that Sears Tower thing that came from Texo's board retreat. Right. You're one of your board retreats that like the yeah. segue to open up the board retreat was just tell us a cool construction story. Oh, and like Bruiser uh, uh, off the that top. One out. Yeah, yeah. I was like, whoever's following him, sorry to hear that. <laughs> Every once in a while that happens. Clouds in your floor. Yeah. It it was a pretty amazing day. Well, what do we what, what do we miss? We missed something. What we missed, Steve? Well, well, I bragged on um Teresa and I bragged on our boys. Um you know, it's, there's a lot of people, you know, we ever, we were lucky to have our, um, Spring Valley 50th anniversary party last February. It's kind of a big reunion of mm. people. I, I think back, one thing I do well is keep in contact with friends, people. And I've, I wish one day, and hopefully it's in heaven, you know, that I can see people that I went, I worked with before that were meant, that were important to me and just say, Hey man, you were important to me. You know, when I first started at Spring at a uh, Spall Glass again, eighty five, our um, the division manager, division vice president, his name was John Heim. John Heim was a mechanical background, but he was general contractor. And in his office, he had a kind of like a a narrow placard thing, and it had every business card that he ever had in his whole career. And I said, "Man, that is really really cool." So I kept all my business cards from every, from every position I've had. And I put them on a, I, I actually bought a frame, painted it black. And I put, put all my, my business cards starting at the bottom, all the way up to the top to, to where I'm at right now. And I put, and I changed it because I put, I wrote believer, the very top thing. And I think that's really what it all is about. It's about believing, about being a Christian, having a higher purpose. And if you could, if I can see John Heim one day and say, man, man, that meant a lot to me yeah. that you did that because it gave me the idea and I've got it, it's displayed in my office now. So hopefully somebody else can sit there and say, you know, this is really what it's about. All these levels, this ladder of going from 
assistant project manager to VP to this, that, and the other. None of that's important. It, what's important is what your ultimate goal is, and that's to believe and to have a higher purpose in life. But there's mentors that you would that you would love to thank. Um, you know, John Drozer and Jerry Thurman and uh, Cecil Windsor from Spallglass and, you know, Spring Valley is, you know, Mike Gray and Jimmy and Danny and Kenan and Brent, who are my partners now, Richard Kavnar, spiritual mentors, you know, um, two guys that were, that Teresa invited to our, we moved to, from Hearst to Sunnyvale, started going to a church, Mimosa Lane Baptist Church and Marvin Daniel and Terry Henderson, Teresa invited them to our house because she thought I needed them, that I needed them in my spiritual. So they were my spiritual mentors probably for five years and got me to where I really got out of not of dreading going to church <laughs> until really loving going to church. Um, and I see, you know, I see Marvin and Terry every once in a while, but to have that big reunion of your life one day is really exciting to me. Yeah. People that I haven't, that have been important to me that, um, and friends also, I'm, I do a really good job of keeping contact with friends, but it's so cool when you get together with those people and just say, you know, we got this in common and we're always going to have it. Nobody's going to take it away. Um, so I just, there's a lot of people to be thankful for is my point. And, and hopefully one day somebody's going to think that about me. Yeah. And that's kind of what the ultimate goal is, is, how am I treating others? And and it's difficult because like you, we talked earlier, I have compassion for sick people in bad situations. I have no compassion for stupid people or, do, or people doing stupid things. And that's probably my place where I need to work on myself better is having more compassion. Also having patience. You know, Jim Archer told me, you know, what you lack is patience. And I work hard on it. Hmm. And at 60, I'm still not there. Maybe I'll never get there, but I'm a lot better than I was when I was 59. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to make improvements somehow, somewhere. It's a virtue. <clears throat> Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. I'm, I'm not. It's a tough one, especially when you're just, you're driven, you have thoughts, you've got deadlines, you've got people calling, hey, where's this? What's going on? And you're sitting there. It's It's very difficult to have patience. And I think most drivers, most leaders have an issue with that. There are very good leaders that are just um, blowing sunshine all the time. Yeah, And I respect that. And I wish I could be more like that. And very rarely do I get an opportunity like this to sit there and really tell what my, what's on my heart. When I do, I love it. You know, when we go through uh, reviews, employee reviews, I love talking about the company and the vision I just don't have that opportunity very much. And the talk about the wins, you know, wins in construction are very few and far between. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you need to celebrate them. Oh, and yeah. the and the the losses we tend to focus on, and we probably don't need to focus on those as much. We need to just move on and um, figure out how to get better. I've got, like I said, I got a couple of projects and clients that I just didn't handle things the right way. And I wish I would have done it differently, but you can't live on that. You got to move on, right? Yeah, you learn you learn what you learned. Right. And you move along. Right. There's no lingering doesn't fix anything. Lingering doesn't fix yeah. it. Man, I was gonna go back to that mentor thought you're having because as you were saying all those names, the thought I was having is how fortunate you are to have all those names to say. Yeah. Because not everybody <clears throat> has 
one person, let alone two or 10 or 20 or 50 or, you know, yeah. uh, you're super fortunate to have all those people whose names come to this, that's straight to the tip of your tongue when you think about people that you're thankful for in your life and you look forward to, to seeing them again and telling them that you're thankful. Well, and there's, you know, the other thing is there's, there's people that you've met that don't do it the way you think it should be done. And you learn as much from those people as you do the good people. Oh, and yeah. I think that's really important also is, you know, there's, I won't say those names, but I've got a list of names there too. Yeah, right. That say, you know, this, they gave me an opportunity and it was good. Well, you know, there's a lot I learned, but um, that's not how I want to do it. So you mm-hmm. learn how not to do it. And that's, um, everybody's different. Everybody has different personalities and how they handle things. So you can learn as much from the way uh, you don't want to do things. Agree with that. For I haven't missed home in a long time because I consider <laughs> DFW home until today. Yeah, I, probably the last time the first Blackhawk Stanley Cup championship on their string of what three? Yeah, I, I was self parade uh, watching it out here, and I'm like, man, I miss home. You just took me back there. Well, when the first I'm time in a long time. when it, my first my first uh, I moved there in '09. I think they won the cup that June. They had the parade, and it ended right there at Michigan or Wacker Drive, which is where my office was. So they had the Stanley Cup right down there below where we were at. So our our floor, we were on. We were. This is so wild. My office in downtown Chicago looked at the um, the Tribune Building, the Wrigley Building, and the Trump Tower, and the the river was right below us. And I'll never forget this forever. We. The Ryder Cup, I think it was Davis Love. I can't remember who the captain was. The Ryder Cup was coming someplace, and they had a Trump Tower. They had a on Trump Tower. They have a deck like at the thirtieth floor of of Trump Tower, and they had a platform built up, and they had a big reception for the the Ryder Cup a promotion. And in the river, they had a barge, and they had a floating green and a pin in it, and they had the captains were. Uh, hit, I don't know, pitching wedges or something off the Trump Tower onto the barge. And we're sitting there watching this like, this is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely crazy. Just, and you're sitting there like, this isn't something you can see in Dallas. No. You know, this is something that is a Chicago specific thing. And then, you know, a windstorm comes up and takes, you see furniture from, this was a different day, but we're also watching wind was blowing like crazy in Chicago and, the all the furniture on the Trump Tower was blowing off the Trump Tower into the river, and you're sitting there like somebody's going to get killed. Yeah, and you're seeing it, you know, the, and you're like, again, something I'm never going to see again. Mm-hmm. Just crazy stuff. Were they were they putting dots on the barge? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just nuts. That is nuts. I'm sure they had a rangefinder or something like that, but yeah, it was so. Just experiences like that is something that you know you'll you'll yeah. relive for, live forever, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool to go back to now my family's all moved to Indiana. So they're in St. John, Indiana now. So again, just like neighborhoods in Chicago, they turn. So it got to be a little rough. So they moved. Um, and, uh, we love going back to St. John and visiting family there and trying to hook up my, with my buddies and get together for a cocktail or two. Just thinking about all the old times. Yeah. And it's a lot of it's, life you know some of them are you know one's got cancer and the other one's just recovering so now it gets to be real life it's not it's not just um you know let's have let's do a beer bong and move on you know right. it's like <laughs> what can i do to help yeah well 
all you just reaching out to me helps or so those are the things you just need to remember to take time it's all it is is time and effort and friendships friendship takes a lot of time and effort to keep it so, relationships all, yeah. of all sorts take a lot yeah, of time or with yeah with clients whatever but really it really is a friendship driven life for me i like that part of about the most my friends are my are my closest people yeah well, you, you say, I'm going to make a, make a segue, but you, you say something there that's important about how in these moments, it's like the culmination of all that time that you spent with them that you can really know who they are and, and really have an opportunity to lean in and say, how can I help or whatever. So I'll use that as a pivot point to get to like a sort of our closing nugget, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, the, the, our, our one big thing, as we say, um, all of your life's experiences and places you've been and people you've met and mentors you've had and things you've screwed up and all that. Like, what's the big thing? What's a, what's a big nugget for someone to take away from? From all of the travels and stuff. Well, I think I, I wrote down the, yeah, I wrote down my, one of my favorite verses from first Corinthians 15, 33 is bad company corrupts good judgment. And, you know, I've, again, being an owner of a construction company, you want to hire, you want to have good people. And if you don't, they can be a cancer to your organization. And I think living through life, our I preach, we preach to our sons, same thing. Um, even a good person can get screwed up by bad character. Mm. Um, and we've seen it. You know, you see it when, you know, kids in affluent families and they get hooked up with the wrong people and they're become uh, whatever drugs or whatever it is, alcohol, lying, stealing, that stuff is just, you got to be very careful in today's age about, and, and that is where my, my bride is very good at. She does not give, she's convicted to her values. And, um, if there's something not right, she sniffs it out. She has an unbelievable (laughs) natural ability to know this situation's not right or something's going on and it's not good. And we react. You got to react to stuff like that. Mom radar is a thing, man. Mom, like Ashley says, I forget exactly what it is. There's something about mom. Oh no, she talks about people in the neighborhood knowing what's going on. She calls it the mom fia. That's what that she. But yeah, mom radars are real things. So we, okay, I'm going to tell one more story. So when we moved to Chicago, moved to Chicago to St. John, Indiana, um, it was cool because the first two months, three months, I was living with my mom and dad because we hadn't found a house yet. And Teresa and the boys finished. So this was like December and Teresa and the boys were still finishing out. We decided to have them finish. So we lived apart for six months and I'd go back and forth. So we found a house, a beautiful house in the neighborhood, right about a mile from my mom and dad. And it was a short sale and it was a, I'm embarrassed. It was like a 7,500 square foot house, finished out basement, first floor, and then it had another, another bathroom, bedroom, living area up, up top. And it was a short sale for like $600,000. And it was in a beautiful neighborhood. Well, the more we got into it, it ended up, we still to this day believe it was the Polish mafia that all, there was five guys that lived there and their names were all Polish. And we still to this day think there was something going on in that house that was not right. <laughs> it was, you know, it, the theater had a theater and it was, uh, you know, seven flat screen TVs all over and foosball tables, billiards, bar. And I'm like, this, something's not right here. But to this day, we think the house is haunted by the Polish mafia. <laughs> Punchline of the episode. 
Steve was in the Polish mafia. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, no. Is that we're gonna no? That's I don't know what the the title is. Maybe sketching through life with good character or something <laughs> like that. Sketching through life. That's maybe that's what it is. I don't know. It's I, uh, I don't know why we wouldn't do that now. Right? Whether it makes sense or not, we're I don't doing know. It. There's I'm sure there's there's stories of uh, Texas people about their childhoods, but sketching through the side streets of the city of Chicago is pretty pretty strong. Hmm. You guys. Use guys. Uh, Use guys. Two utes. Yeah, Tabodias. I enjoyed it. <laughs>